0: Amen. All right, let's try that again. I think we all right. Maybe we're not. one. All right, here we go. Man, I I didn't know the devil could jump into mechanical items like he has this morning. You know, all week long, AC is running fine until we get to Sunday morning. You know what I mean? Building been cool a whole week with nobody in it. When we get to Sunday morning, the devil want to act up. We greet you today in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Come on, if you know God's been good to you, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're certainly grateful and thankful to the Lord for God just allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody who came out on last Sunday for our concert here at the Good Hope Church with our own praise team and uh, Mark Taylor and One Sound and then the Thompson Community Singers, a.k.a. the Tommies Reunion Choir. Man, it was absolutely tremendous. Was there anybody that's here that was here last? Oh, my God, man, listen. If you missed it, you missed a blessing. It was absolutely tremendous. And then we celebrated um, several of our lay leaders who gave guidance and direction, our general chairpersons, uh, the Thomases, uh, brother and sister Robert and Maralita Thomas and uh, the Whites and the Martins and the Wilridges, man, just did, I think we got a picture of them They just did a a tremendous job of coordinating all of our activities and events. On the first Sunday in August, the first Sunday in August, we're going to uh, honor and recognize our staff members who have done a tremendous job over this last year. Uh, Many of you don't see the work that they put in, the time that they put in but our staff members do a tremendous, tremendous job and we're going to honor and celebrate them on the first Sunday of this, of the, uh, this upcoming uh, August just in a couple of weeks. Um, I've been asking for you, uh, Rooted and Grounded, make some noise wherever you are. Now for those of you who are streaming with us Um, Whether you're in the United States or outside of the United States, I want to invite you to become part of and register to become part of our life group ministry rooted and grounded is what we call it. That's our commitment to making disciples who make disciples Uh, registration will be open. Lord says the same on the first Sunday in August. We'll get started around the second week in September, but the first Sunday in August, we're going to open up our registration. I've been asking you to pray about who you are going to ask to be a part of your group. Now we're changing some things as we're moving forward as we now launch worldwide. So here's what we're saying. First of all, I still don't want husbands and wives together. I, I, I love the fact that that you are developing your own spiritual voice and finding your own spiritual voice. And, uh, you know, I, I had, you know, one or two husbands and wives said, well, we, we want to do it together. You know, y'all got a, another 165 hours a week to be together. Amen. But, you know, I want you to find your own voice and your own calling in terms of what God has for you to do. Uh, but Uh, groups can be co-ed they can also be single gender gender. they can be multi-generational they can be single generational so if you're a millennial and you have millennial friends and family members that you want to be a part of your group and that's who you're praying about inviting then praise God um, I'm going to do myself I'm going to do an all men's group this time and so I'm already uh, praying about who I want to ask to be a part of uh, that group, and I gave you all three categories of people to pray about. I'm gonna give you a fourth one, okay? Give you a fourth one. First one I gave you was F for friends, right? However, you define friends. I want you to pray about friends as God brings them to your mind. Write them down, put them on a list, pray about God giving you an opportunity to invite them to be part of your rooted and grounded group. I gave you R. R stands for relatives, relatives. All of us have relatives that need Jesus. Amen. And uh, we have relatives who need to grow in the Lord. And so uh, you be prayerful about who those relatives are. Cousins, siblings, uh, play cousins, however you define them. Uh, I want you to pray about God opening the door for you to have relatives as part of your life group. Last week we talked about A, associates. Associates people that you come in contact with you you don't have enough contact with them to be a friend um, but you have association with them and the next group i want you to pray about is n in for neighbor i want you to pray about your neighbors uh some of us don't even know our neighbors right um, so i have one neighbor i have a young man i know his father Um, I know him, you know, we just talk kind of in passing as we see each other because neither one of us sit on the front porch because neither one of us have a front porch, right? So we just kind of wave at each other as we go out the driveway and speak occasionally if he's working in the front yard. So uh, I'm going to invite him to be part of my life group and, you know, see what the Lord does. And if he says yes, praise God. If he says no, that's okay. I, I can ask him another time. All right. So we got friends. We got relatives, we got associates, and we have neighbors, all right? So I want you to be prayerful about who the Lord is going to have you to invite to be part of your life group. Now, this coming fall, we're staying with Rooted uh, rooted curriculum. This fall, we're doing Rooted. I wanted to make sure that people who are comfortable, who have been through Rooted, are comfortable in facilitating a rooted group because you've already been exposed to the curriculum, right? I don't want a new curriculum to stand in the way of you facilitating a group and helping people come to know Jesus and helping people grow in Jesus. In the winter, in January, our rooted groups are going to shift to purpose-driven life, discovering your purpose for your life, Uh, We did that several years ago, many years ago here at our church. And I want this to be part of our baseline discipleship curriculum. And so we're going to be doing that in the winter, January of 2024. We're already laid out for the spring of 2024 and the fall of 2024. We're working on 2025 because we are committed to making this a part of our culture. Somebody say amen. And thank God for that. All right. Let's go to God and pray and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we bless you and thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, share your word. And we pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight. Have your way. Speak through your servant to your people so that we would be more than just hearers of your word. Help us to be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as most of you are aware, uh, I had knee replacement surgery five weeks ago. Um, five weeks ago, went under the knife. It was a an unexpected surgery uh, in that I had been having some knee problems and swelling of the knee and walking with a limp and a gimp and all of that stuff. Um, but the doctors that told me, you know, Hey, Pastor, you are really not old enough yet. You know, you, your size, a man, your size, you got about a 20 year life expectancy. You know, I don't know if we really want to do it this early, uh, because my knee, especially my right knee had been shot for years, playing basketball and a couple of surgeries and things like that. So this time I went back to the doctor. There were times that it was so bad, y'all. When I would come back, for example, from vacation, I was just I mean, the knee was just blown up like a balloon and I was in so much pain. I just walked in one day and told the doctor, just cut it off, man, just cut it off. I I can't I can't do this. And so when I went to the doctor this time, I really didn't know what he was going to tell me. Right. I I really didn't know what he was going to say. So he asked me, he said, how you doing? Now, this is a doctor that's done a couple of knee surgeries for me, right? Uh, When I tore my quad muscle in 2020, he did the repair, rebuilt that knee. I had arthroscopic surgery on the other knee, did that. So, you know, he and I know each other. So I go in and I'm telling him the pain that I'm in. And without even having to do the x-rays, because he's already familiar with my knees, um, more familiar with them than I am, right? He said, um, well, he said, I can do another surgery and try to clean it up. He said, but honestly, it's probably not gonna give you much relief. It's time for you to do a knee replacement. And I was shocked. I was like, really? I'm like, you gonna let me do a knee replacement? Then I was like, wait a minute, I gotta do a knee replacement? And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's time, it's time. You know, we, we've been fighting this for the last 10 years. And he said, um, you know, it's going to last you about 20 years. And I said, well, Doc, what happens after 20 years? So he pulled the piece out, because I'm like, you got to go back in, take everything out, and put a new one in. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He pulled out a little piece, took a little piece of metal. He said, see this piece right here? This is the plastic piece. He said, after 20 years, we monitor it every five years, and then we just pop out the piece. And then put a new piece in, turn the odometer back, you got another 20 years. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm like, okay. So I go into surgery. Those of you who have had that surgery, you know, if you've had somebody in your family that had the surgery, they have you walking that day, right? So I'm on the walker, and I'm walking that day, and I'm like, oh, man, all right, this is is going good, you know? they like, bend the leg and do this and do this, you know. And I'm, 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 I'm an old athlete, you know, so if you tell me 10, I'm going to try to do 12. You tell me 12, I'm going to try to get you 15, you know. I'm going to try to do a little bit extra. And, man, things were going well. Went back for my two-week checkup. Everything is good. Finally got my home therapy schedule. Mix up at the doctor's office and the providers and the insurance company. Finally got that situated. Home health care comes out. They do an assessment this past week. Here's what they told me. He said, well, he said, you're doing really well. I got about a 98 degree bend. And on my extension, I'm at zero. He's like, man, you've been doing really good. I know you've been doing most of this, if not almost all of it on your own. You're doing really well. He said, but here's my concern. Don't overdo it. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I overdo it? Right? Because they told me that my recovery would take probably 8 to 12 weeks to begin walking normal. Still going to feel the pain because it's going to take 8 weeks for the bone to heal. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. He said, It'll probably be six months before you're feeling really good, and probably a year before you're moving without even thinking about it. In my mind, I'm thinking, hey man, if I press this, if I really put in the work, you know, I'm man, no, don't give me no two, two times a week. And I need to work out, man. I need to get this like five days a week. I need to stay on this. And he says, you really can't force it to go much faster. He said, that's just how long it takes. It's going to take your bone about eight weeks to heal. Period. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to have to go through the process. And I was thinking today, how many times in life Do we want to force our way and rush through what we're going through? When God wants us to understand that really it's just part of the process. There's some things you just not going to get overnight. There's some things you're going to have to live with for a season in order for it to settle inside of you. One of the other things they told me was, um, Pastor, you're going to have some pain. So you're going to have some pain. There's no getting around it. You're going to have some pain. They said, but this pain is going to be different than the pain you had before the surgery. He said, the pain you had before the surgery was a hurting pain. The pain you're going to have now is a healing pain. There's some pain that God uses to bring healing into your life and not just hurt. Today, I want to close this series of messages that I started a couple of weeks ago around the subject matter, how to survive trying times, how to survive trying times. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? If you need an outline, would you raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. How to survive trying times. Now, I shared with you on last week, uh, as I did the previous weeks, that our text today is a unique text in that it is a text that chronicles a conversation between Jesus and the devil. Three times in the scriptures, the devil is actually recorded to have spoken. First time he took the form of the serpent and spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden to t- try to disrupt God's appointed place. Second time he spoke to God directly when he gathered with the sons of God when God said to him have you checked out my servant Job? You remember he asked the devil where he had come from. He said walking to and fro. And he said, have you seen my servant Job? Upright and righteous man. It's like God is bragging on Job. And I told you in week one, uh, I don't know if I ever want God to brag on me. You know what I mean? (laughs) I, I got enough trouble with the devil already. I don't need the devil getting permission to deal with me any more than he deals with me. It's in that passage that the devil tries to disrupt Job's person. He disrupts his person by attacking his family and his possessions, right? And then he attacks him personally. And he disrupts his person to try to destroy his character and his testimony. The third time he speaks is here in our passage in Matthew chapter 4. And it's in this passage that he tries to derail Jesus's purpose. Every time the devil tempts you, just always remember, he is tempting you to destroy either your place, your person, or your purpose. He knows on the other side of the temptation, if you embrace the temptation and fall into sin, listen carefully, it will destroy or at least cause chaos and confusion in your person in your place or in your purpose. And so we get now to this third and final message. Jesus has heard from the devil. The Bible in point one, I mean, in, in uh, sermon one, we said Jesus teaches us that we're never exempted from testing tribulations in life, right? We're going to have them. If Jesus was tested, we're going to be tested. If Jesus had tribulations, we're going to have tribulations in life. That's just the fact of life. And it doesn't matter how holy and how righteous you are. It doesn't matter how much you try to live without having troubles in life. Trouble is going to come and find you and knock on your door. If it's not you personally, it's somebody close to you. Okay, but trouble is going to come. Um, I shared with you, secondly, you've got to remember that God loves you, right? We're talking about Sermon 1. We've got, to, we've got to remember that God loves you. God loves you. And God's love doesn't keep you from stuff. It won't always keep you from it, but it will always keep you through it, right? But sometimes you've got to learn how to rest in the positivity of God's love for you. Last week, we talked about the fact that, uh, number one, you must know and obey God's word. If you are going to survive trying times, you have to know and obey God's word. It's not enough to know it and not obey it. Right? You've got to know it and you have to obey it. you got to know it and You have to obey it. And you got to remember that you should never try to meet legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. And that's the number one temptation of the devil, right? The devil always wants to tempt you to try to get you to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And he knows this. Most of us move by the legitimacy of our feelings, whether or not it is in obedience to the word of God. We will not ask God for permission, but we will ask for forgiveness. And God says that's not the way to survive trying times in your life. Let's go to part three, how to survive trying times. Here's the first point today. If you're going to survive trying times, you must realize you're only going through what you are going through. You're only going through what you are going through. Matthew chapter four, verse 11, the a part, the text says, then the devil left him. We're going to stop right there. Then the devil left him. The devil came, right? Remember, Jesus is led up by the spirit into the wilderness for what purpose to be tempted by the devil. The devil comes, Jesus has his purpose for going into the wilderness, the devil fulfills his purpose, remember he tempts him in three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he tests him, he tries him, he tempts him in those three areas. Every time the devil comes, Jesus says it is written. And when the devil says, for it is written because he knows scripture, Jesus tells him, you're taking the content of scripture out of context, trying to get me to act in an improper way. And he says to him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord, thy God, he gets through with the devil and the Bible says the devil left him. Somebody right now who is dealing with opposition in your life, no matter what the manifestation is of that satanic opposition. Here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you today to know that whatever it is that you're going through, you are only going through it in a temporary way. Listen to me carefully. If you think about the trials, tribulations, tests, that are in your life, every one of them had a starting point. And if it had a starting point, guess what? It's going to have an ending point. Uh, one of the things I tell people all the time is that if you are going through something, I don't care how trying it is, if it's not enough to take you out, then it's not worth taking yourself out over it. Right? In other words, you may go through some difficult times and you may have some suicidal ideations, but listen to me carefully. If it wasn't enough to take you out, why would you voluntarily take yourself out? Every trial, every test, every temptation, every tribulation has a starting point and it has an ending point. In other words, it has an expiration date. It may seem like our pain, our problems, our predicaments are perpetual, but the old folks said it best. Trouble don't last. Always. Somebody you need to be reminded today you're only going through. Come on, say that out loud. I'm only going through. Yeah, I'm only going. Now you say, man, but pastor, you don't know how long I've been in it. But you're only going through. I don't care how long it's lasting. You're only going through. So, um, when I was in school, I look back over my, my career and I always tell people, you know, when they ask about, you know, man, should I do a master's degree? Should I do a doctorate? You know, that arguably, you know, the hardest degree you're going to ever achieve in life is your bachelor's degree. Cause you can't specialize, but so much in what you really like And you don't really know what you really like, right? When you get to your master's degree, it's more specialized. When you get to your uh, doctorate, it's more specialized. And you bring a greater sense of urgency and you bring a greater level of maturity and focus to the table than you had, you know, when you were working on your undergraduate degree, right? Um, But the hardest test I ever had in my life, y'all, was my uh, Hebrew one exam. Uh, we were required to take three years of Greek and two years of Hebrew uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary and the first year of Hebrew was all grammar and syntax. Um, the last year was translations easier but first year you had to memorize verb forms and 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 Hebrew and Greek, you know. Somebody said, "Did you get the two thing, two languages confused?" Impossible, can't get them confused. You know, one reads left right, one reads right left. You know, one one is is more logical, and and the letters are more recognizable. One is just symbols, you know, and and speaks in stories and things like that. And so, this Hebrew one exam was one that I dreaded. Let me see if I can get somebody to identify with me. Have you ever had an exam that was so hard you wish you could die and then be resurrected after the exam time? Okay, am I the only one? You you know, when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, God, can I just die and then come back to life after the exam period is over, right? Right? Because you're studying and studying and man, you know, these vowel points are moving and you're like, man, these dots are, I mean, you're just seeing stuff. It's like, oh my God. Man, listen, I have friends who told me they had Vietnam flashback dreams in Hebrew. Like Hebrew triggered stuff in their minds. Took them back 30, 40 years, right? That's how bad it is. And y'all, I am dreading this Hebrew. And I know I got to take it. I got two years. I got to get through these two years of Hebrew. But y'all, I am struggling with this Hebrew exam. And I'm looking at the schedule. And then all of a sudden, I felt a sense of relief. Now, you may say, what relief did you get from the schedule, pastor? Here's the relief I got. Hebrew. 103. Final exam. Tuesday 9 a.m. 12 noon some of y'all don't even get it I looked at that schedule and I said hallelujah all I got to do is get through to Tuesday at 12 noon cause that exam is gonna be over I'm gonna study all I can study Learn all I can learn, memorize all I can memorize, but there is a time limit on this final exam. I'm going to go in at nine. I'm going to take it. And at 12 noon, it's going to be over. Walked in. I I don't know what they do now in schools, but you know, we had blue books. You get your little blue book and get the exam and it was sealed and you had to open it and all right, you may begin 9 a.m. Boom. Boom get started and I'm y'all I'm praying for divine intervention I'm asking the Lord bring back to my remembrance Lord I'm trying to quote scripture and everything in there right I'm looking at stuff man and I'm just doing the best that I can I'm looking up how much time I got left but I'm really not concerned about how much time I have left because I'm gonna run out of time I just want the time to run out y'all understand the difference 12 noon comes and the professor says all right put down your pencils turn over your exams close your blue books the exam is over y'all i wanted to shout so much when i got out of there and you know you got people that you when you take an exam they want to talk after the exam they won't find out what you put down what did you put down dz or number seven was it a hipfield stem or a pl stem like i'm done do you, do you think you got number four right? Don't care. I'm done. I can't change it. I don't want to talk about it. Whatever I put down, I put down. I'm done. Listen to me carefully. You need to understand that if you have a timeline on your tests, on your trials and your tribulations, the key is to just persevere to the end. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me your rod and your staff they comfort me i'm not trying to build a condo in the valley i don't need a duplex in the valley no townhouse in the valley not looking for a split level home in the valley and i sure don't want a mansion in the valley because i'm just going through whatever valley i'm going through maybe it's not you maybe you know somebody who seems like they enjoy pitching tents in their valleys and they love to talk about their valleys and how tough it is to be in the valley. and how. Man, I'm just trying to get through my valley because I understand that valleys only show up between mountains. And if I can get from one mountain to the next mountain and I've got to go through the valley, I want to make sure I go through the valley and don't stay in the valley. So somebody today, tell yourself, I'm just going through. Here's the second and final thing. If you're going to survive trying times, number two, you need to know the Lord will take care of you. You need to know the Lord will take care of you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, the B part, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Watch the book ends. Verse one, Jesus is led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he is divinely escorted into this period of temptation. The Bible says in verse 11, the devil left him. And behold, be part verse 11, angels came and ministered to him. Now that word ministered is an interesting word. It comes from the same word we get the word diakonos from. um, Where we get the word that we translate in places deacon from. Um, it, It speaks to somebody who is an attendant. Or somebody who waits upon another. Serves another. And when they serve that person... They serve in order to benefit the person that they are serving. Uh, So, some restaurants you go in, you are charged the tip automatically, right? Um, I love those restaurants when they put the tip on your bill and then leave the line there for you to add another tip. I bet y'all think y'all slick, right? but I was in one country in particular. I was in the Bahamas on one occasion, and they charged you, and this was years ago, they charged you a 20% tip on everything. And it was like the worst service. I mean, it was horrible. You know, it, I mean, it was almost like people would come, you ask them for silverware, they like throw the silverware on the table, you know. You got to ask for water five times, you know. It's like, man, what is going on, right? And then just like 20% tip. I'm like, huh? I said, I need to talk to the manager. What is this? Oh, sir, that's automatically put in there. I said, well, obviously your workers know that because they know they don't have to give service to get a tip. So there's no incentive for them, right? But there's nothing like going to a restaurant and having a wait staff person who is attentive like water's down, boom, you don't even have to ask for it. They there. You know, if you got a drink, you know, you have a soft drink, before you get to the bottom there, refill you, refresh you, brought you another one, right? Nothing like having a good service person, especially when they know what you want. Um, Pastor Strayhorn and I, Uh, We used to uh, cruise together. And I remember the first time we went on a carnival cruise together. He wanted to bring the waiter home with him. Because by the the second day, third day, he knew exactly what we wanted. He knew we wanted lemons. He knew we wanted sugar. He knew what, and, and it was there waiting for us at our table. This was now, you know, now they do anytime dining, anywhere dining. But this is back when you were assigned a table. And so you got to know your waitstaff and they got to know you. He, he, he knew I wanted two salads. He just doubled up on a salad when he, I didn't even have to tell him. Right By the second day, he was, hey, Mr. Dedick, Mr. Dedick, how you doing? Boom. Made you want to tip him. Right? The text says that the angels came and they ministered to him. They specifically addressed the needs of jesus now remember when the devil tempted him lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and pride of life the devil remember what i told you tailor made the temptations for jesus's flesh and the weaknesses that he had experienced legitimate needs the devil came to tempt him to try to meet those legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. Now here come the angels. Listen carefully. The devil tailor made the temptation. Now here come the angels to tailor make their treatment. When the text says they ministered to him, they literally found where he was hurting and came and applied a heavenly balm to his wounds so my grandmother Gladys Peoples uh, was old school that's my maternal grandmother and whenever I would be out in the backyard playing or down the street playing I would fall I'd get a little scrape and whatnot. you know she'd take me in to the bathroom to clean it up and This is old school medicine cabinet. Yeah, how many of y'all remember medicine cabinet in the bathroom, right? And it was old school medicine cabinet. So we didn't have all of that, you know, fancy stuff in there. There was just some staple stuff in there. Castor oil, three sixes. Um, We had no Tylenol back then, no Aleve, no Tenactin, no Neosporin, you know, antibiotic ointment and all that stuff, right? Um, you had aspirin usually it was bare um, you had excedrin if it was a really bad headache you had peroxide alcohol iodine and mercuricone and just in case a knee came up you had some exlax in there I-, I discovered the hard way that the chocolate exlax was not candy y'all <laughs> Don't act like I'm the only one. (laughs) So when I would scrape up my knee or my elbow or something, I would fall. I get a bite or something. My grandmother would take me into the bathroom. And the first thing she would do is wash out that scrape. Right. So she gets soap and water and she start washing it. And of course, like every kid, "Ah." she said, boy, stop. I ain't doing nothing. I got to wash it out, get the dirt out so you don't get infected. And then I had a choice. Right. Alcohol or peroxide. Well, she chose peroxide. Thank God. Hallelujah. And she would take her glasses and always it always amazed me how the old folk would take their glasses down when they were trying to see something close up. Right. She take her glasses down and she would take that peroxide and open it up, that brown bottle, and then she would pour a little bit in the cap and then pour a cap full of peroxide where it was hurting and it would start foaming and I would start, ah, ah. she said, boy, that ain't burning, that's peroxide, that's not alcohol, stop it. And then she would give me a choice. You want mercuricone or iodine? I chose iodine one time in my life. I chose mercuricone from then on. Come on, how many of y'all remember? I had not burned. I chose Mercuricone. So she would take that little brown bottle and shake it up. And she would open up. And you remember it had the little dabber on the top connected? And she would take it and then she would start dabbing it on the wound. Listen, she didn't stand me on the other side of the bathroom and start slinging Mercuricone. She got up real close, pulled her glasses down, and then would take that dabber and put it right where I was hurting. To make sure that the medicine got where I was needed the most. Come on back to the text. The Bible says that the angels ministered to him. They got right where Jesus was hurting and they took care of his pain. I'm trying to get somebody in here to understand that God will minister to you exactly where you're hurting and exactly when you need it the most. Somebody said, how do you know God is ministering to you? Because he has so much to work with. Sometimes it'll just be a word of encouragement from a friend or family member. Sometimes it'll be a song that'll come on and God will use it. You've been talking about something and it's as if the radio announcer knew what you needed to hear. And here comes the song that you needed to hear. Maybe you just opened up your Bible and your Bible just fell to a verse that encouraged you. Maybe it's a daily devotional. And it was like that day was made to speak to you for what you were going through on your yesterday, on your today, or getting you ready for your tomorrow. But is there anybody in here who can testify that the Lord will come by and see about you when you need him the most? The old song said all night. And all day, angels are watching over me, keeping me through danger seen and unseen. All day and all night, I got angels, I tell you, watching over me, making ways out of no way, keeping me. When I don't have sense enough to keep myself. Angels watching over me, keeping me, even when they don't keep me from, they keep me through. Angels, sometimes when I'm ready to throw in a towel and give up on life, angels come and see about me. And all I want to tell you is tough times are going to come. Trying times are going to come in life. They'll take a variety of shapes, forms, and fashions. But I want you to learn how to hold on and wait for God to come on your behalf. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just keep on fighting. Keep your hand in God's hand. Keep fighting the good fight of faith and know that God will come and take care of you. But you just got to keep on fighting. At the turn of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, there was a boxer by the name of Jim Corbett. Uh, They called him Gentleman Jim because unlike other prize fighters in his day, uh, Jim Corbett was always well-groomed. He wasn't a brawler. He was arguably the first and the father of modern-day boxing. Uh, he would jab. He would move. He would, he would dance around. And, 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 and he always would keep his hair immaculate. His, his face would be clean-shaven. He, he always dressed Uh, the part. He would wear tailor-made clothes and the like. That's just what he was, and and he was always very mannerable. He was intelligent, and so they called him Gentleman Jim. Uh, Jim Corbett uh, changed prize fighting, and he would eventually defeat the legendary champion by the name of John L. Sullivan. Well, before he became champion, uh, he had built up a reputation as a great prize fighter. There was another gentleman who had built up a reputation by the name of Peter Jackson. Uh, They called Peter Jackson Black Prince Jackson, and they called him Black Prince because he was a black man. He was an immigrant, and he had won the championship in Australia. Uh, John L. Sullivan wouldn't fight Peter Black Prince Jackson. Uh, He claimed a number of things, but would never say he just wouldn't fight a black man. Jim Corbett heard about Peter Black Prince Jackson, who had at that time moved to the Bay Area and was the instructor at a prominent athletic club teaching boxing. Gentleman Jim Corbett was at another rival boxing club in San Francisco teaching boxing. And so they decided that they would have a fight to determine who was the best fighter in the Bay Area. Peter Black, Prince Jackson or Gentleman Jim Corbett. So they decide that they're going to box. They get there and they start fighting. 1 round, 2 rounds, 3 rounds. 5 rounds, 6 rounds, 7 rounds. 9 rounds, 10 rounds, 11 rounds. 15 rounds, 16 rounds, 17 rounds. 22 rounds, 23 rounds, 24 rounds. 29 rounds, 30 rounds, 31 rounds 40 rounds, 41 rounds, 42 rounds. 50 rounds, 51 rounds, 52 rounds until finally they get to the 61st round. After 61 rounds, they decide to call the fight a draw. 61 rounds, these two men fought until they were completely exhausted and they agreed to call the fight a draw one of the reporters asked gentleman Jim Corbett, said, how is it that you were able to fight 61 rounds? And he responded, every time I went back to my corner, I told myself, fight one more round. He said, I didn't start the fight planning to fight 61 rounds. But now that I was in the fight, Every time I went back to my corner, I told myself, just fight one more round. Somebody, you didn't get it yet. Let me help you. You may have been in your fight a long time. You may have been going through your trials, your tests, your temptations, your tribulations a long time. And you may have wanted to throw in the towel along the way. I'm telling you, just keep fighting one more round. The enemy may have come at you with the best that they had and you were ready to quit. Matter of fact, somebody may have said to you, you know, I don't know how you've been going as long as you've been going, but just keep going back to your corner and tell yourself one more round. Tell yourself I'm on the battlefield for my Lord and I promised him that I would serve him until I die one more round why because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world come on somebody say one more round because you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you tell yourself one more round because no weapon formed against you shall prosper one more round Because with man, it might be impossible. But is there anybody that knows with God, all things are possible. One more round. Because if God is for you, he's more than the world against you. One more round. Because God is not through blessing you. One more round. Because he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. Tell yourself one more round because God hasn't brought you this far to leave you now. One more round because this too shall pass. One more round because the race doesn't go to the swift nor to the strong. But to those who endure until the end, yes, one more round, because if when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior has come, be not dismayed when men won't believe you, because he'll understand and say, well done, oh, when you try and fail in your trying, hand sore and scarred from the work you begun, take up your cross, run swiftly to meet him, because he'll understand, I said he'll understand and say well done. One more round. Look at somebody and tell them one more round. Just keep fighting one more round. Come on, look at somebody else. Look at the other side. Tell them one more round. Just keep fighting one more round. You know what I've learned in life? The one way to ensure you won't win is to quit before the end. You say, I don't know if I'm going to make it. If you quit, you won't make it. I guarantee you, you won't make it if you quit. But if you keep on fighting, No matter how hard the test, the trial, the temptation that comes. No matter how God tries to destroy your place, your person, or your purpose. Keep on fighting. And hear God say, well done. Come on, hear God say, well done. Don't you want to hear God say, well done? Father, we bless you and we thank you for today pray now that your word has found fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people help us today Lord for somebody the temptation is in their place in their space and they might be ready to give up instead of hanging on in there for somebody god it's it's the devil's desire to destroy their person to rob them of their character their their testimony for somebody god god the devil wants to destroy their purpose wants them to continue to live beneath purpose for which you have created them but God help us to hold on in obedience remind us God that whatever the temptation is however the devil is coming at us remind us that we're only going through what we're going through and remind us that you will come and see about us somebody God you spoke to them through this message today Somebody, the songs of Zion have spoken to them. Somebody, your word, God, has assured them and given them the fortitude to go on when they feel like giving up. We thank you, God. Help us to look to the hills. The verse ends in the question mark, from whence comes my help? My help doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Help us to keep our focus on you, God, in the midst of it all. We thank you and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.